hppodcraft.com. When Thangobrind the jeweler heard the ominous cough, he turned at once upon that narrow way. A thief was he of very high repute, being patronized by the lofty and elect, for he stole nothing smaller than the Moomoo's egg, and in all his life stole only four kinds of stone, the ruby, the diamond, the emerald, and the sapphire. And, as jewelers go, his honesty was great. Now there was a merchant prince who had come to Thangobrind and had offered his daughter's soul for the diamond that is larger than the human head and was to be found on the lap of the spider idol Hlolo in his temple of Moongaling, for he had heard that Thangobrind was a thief to be trusted. That is the opening of the distressing tale of Thangobrind the jeweler, and of the doom that befell him. Spoiler alert, if you don't want the ending of the story ruined for you, don't listen to what I just said. <laughs> and don't read the title. Because it gives it just gives everything away. It does. And this story was actually written by this fellow named Edward Plunkett, who is better known as Lord Dunsany. And Lord Dunsany just happened to be one of H.P. Lovecraft's favorite authors. And it's good that we're talking about him since this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. You're at HPPodcraft.com. I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And that fantabulous reader we just heard was Mr. Andrew Lehman. Bam! Appearing courtesy of the HP Lovecraft Historical Society, a place you can go that understands. They sure do understand. And not only do they understand, they give back. That's right. We're proud to announce that this episode is sponsored by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, and their newest product, the Dark Adventure Radio Theater adaptation of Imprisoned with the Barrows. Dun-dun-dun! It's the classic Houdini story, as ghost-written by H.P. Lovecraft. It takes place in Egypt. There's an ancient mummy. There's uh, all kinds of scary stuff happening underneath the pyramid. You guys have heard our coverage of the story, hopefully, in the past, and this adaptation is really excellent. Yeah, it's got all the, the great ones from the previous Dark Adventure Radio Theaters. If you like those, you're going to love this. But with some added awesome performance by yours truly by chad pfeiffer i'm in there i did a couple of parts for these guys they were gracious enough to have me it was really fun got to do the uh there's a vaudeville show in there a full kind of samples from a vaudevillian show which is a really fun sequence yeah. and i got to be the announcer for that and uh got to be a, a henchman as well which is one of my favorite things to do is to be an evil henchman of course yeah you're really good at it but uh, yeah. i just want to mention that when you get the cd of this you don't just get audio. You get all these amazing props, all these li yeah. little bits and pieces of papers. You get like a postcard. You get an advert for the for the show that Houdini's in. Like you get all this stuff. Yeah, you get the playbill and it's, it's amazing stuff. There's always such cool little props that come in these things. Yeah, it's totally worth it. And if you care about H.P. Lovecraft at all, you're going to go out and buy this because it's that amazing. Or sound. Or if you care about sound at if all. If you care about sound. <laughs> You will put this in your ears. And speaking of sound, they've also got this album they've just released, uh, The Curious Sea Shanties of Innsmouth, Massachusetts. All right. It's a collection of sea shanties sung by the Miskatonic Connolly Memorial Men's Chorus. It's got 14 <laughs> tracks, including my favorite uh, track, What Shall We Do With a Drunken Sailor? Always oh, a classic. And uh, beautiful artwork in that. It's, it's another fantastic product from the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Guys, 
go pick these things up for the holidays. It's the best kind of gift you can give somebody who's into this sort of thing. Do it now. Also, last plug before we dive into Lord Dunsany. I just wanted to say the two volumes of music that we've in the past sold for this show, HP Podcraft, are still available on chadpfeiffer.bandcamp.com. Right. You can go uh, pick up volume one and volume two of music from the literary podcast. And also, around the holidays, I'm going to be releasing a new EP to commemorate all the fun that we've had this year on the show. I'm going to call it The Monster Party. It'll just be a few songs that you can play at your New Year's celebration. So be on the lookout for that. Wanted to plug it on the free show. I can't wait to hear those. Yeah, I can't wait to put it out. So that'll be out this month. Did you have that one song that goes like this? I do now. <laughs> so if you like that clip, folks, there's going to be more of the same <laughs> on the monster part of that. pretty good groove. Well, thank you. Lord Dunsany. Yeah, what about him? Uh, we've covered all of Lovecraft's idols on this show. We've done our Poe. We've we've done our Mackin, the Golden Girls, M.R. James. Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker. Yeah, we got him in there. Stoker Ace. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's all right. But Dunsany, we never have covered before. No, and I remember we've we've talked about him plenty on the show. Uh, remember, nineteen twenty nine, Lovecraft wrote in a letter, "There are my Poe pieces and my Dunsany pieces, but alas, where are my Lovecraft pieces?" He was such a Dunsany fan that uh, he mimicked him in many ways, and and we know that it was his influence that resulted in Lovecraft's many Dreamlands right. tales which is perhaps why it took us some time to get here. Because as we discussed when we were covering Lovecraft uh, stories, those aren't my favorites. No, they're not our favorites, but we still appreciate them and enjoy them. And especially, you know, I, I'm so happy that we got through Dreamlands and that we spent as much time yeah. as we did on it. Because it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, once you got past all the really weird names of all the places that don't really need to be named that just confuse you, <laughs> you realize it's actually a pretty fun story. And this is similar in that regard. The same kind of fun is to be had here. A lot of the things don't make sense, but it's really out there and crazy. And and so I think it'll be fun to cover this for the holiday season. We're going to be doing it all month. Yeah. And so we'll have lots of opportunity to talk about Lord Dunsany, but let's just do a little bio up top. Sure. I like bios. The actual name of this fellow, you said it was Edward Plunkett, but it's much longer than that. Yes. Edward John Morton Drax Plunkett, 18th Baron of Dunsany. Uh, Drax? D-R-A-X. Where's that name come from? Yeah, dude. Drax the Destroyer. That's amazing. I didn't know that that had any kind of basis in real... Uh, yes. It sounds so sci-fi. The reason he has so many names is that he's part of one of the oldest families in the Irish aristocracy. Yeah. The title was actually created in 1439. Mm -hmm. Dunsany grew up and lived for periods of his life in Dunsany Castle, one of their many properties, possibly Ireland's oldest home in continuous occupation. Construction of the building having, having started around 1181. Wow. So he is from this long line of nobility, uh, has this ancestral estate, probably the kind of life Lovecraft would have of, liked to have had. Of course. Totally. Yeah. Dunsany is only 12 years older than Lovecraft. Uh, he was born in 1878, which is kind of strange to me because in my head, I always thought Dunsany died before Lovecraft was even born, but uh, he didn't die until the 1950s, so he outlived Lovecraft as well. He was also a pistol-shooting champion of Ireland right? and uh, a chess champion at one time. He had lots of talents and was a military guy for both world wars, I believe, in some capacity. He wrote under the name Lord Dunsany, and he, uh, he wrote everything, plays, novels, short stories. Um, his poems aren't well known now, but at one point they were so famous that um, the main character in Fitzgerald's The Side of Paradise recites Dunsany. And you would be expected to know what that is reading that book. So wow. it's pretty popular stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Well, obviously, Lovecraft was a big fan of, of him, but also specifically his plays. 
And he goes on and on about the gods of the mountain. The incidents and developments are those of a supreme master, so that the whole forms one of the most important contributions of the present age, not only to drama, but to literature in general. <laughs> I like that because Lovecraft is throwing out his throwing his hat into the theater critic ring. There well. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> this is one of the most important contributions to drama. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, but Lovecraft often goes really overboard in his praise of Dunsany. He does come correct in the beginning of when he approaches him in uh, in supernatural horror and literature. Mm-hmm. Though he says this isn't really a horror author. He's a guy concerned with beauty, but there are touches of horror in what he writes. Yeah, the weird. The weird, right. He says, beauty rather than terror is the keynote of Dunsany's work. He loves the vivid green of jade and of copper domes and the delicate flush of sunset on the ivory minarets of impossible dream cities. Humor and irony, too, are often present to impart a gentle cynicism and modify what might otherwise possess a naive intensity. I think this story has an example of that Mm -hmm. in the end. Nevertheless, as is inevitable in a master of triumphant unreality, there are occasional touches of cosmic fright which come well within the authentic tradition. Dunsany loves to hint slyly and adroitly of monstrous things and incredible dooms, as one hints in a fairy tale. In The Book of Wonder the collection that this story is from, Mm -hmm. we read of Flolo, the gigantic spider idol, which does not always stay at home. And then he goes on to talk about a few of the other stories that we're going to cover. A few folks wondered why we chose this story to kick off Dunsember. And it's simply because it's the first story mentioned by Lovecraft. That's all. That's why we picked it. I I haven't read any of his stuff before, to be honest. Have you? I'm ashamed that I've never read any Dunsany, and I know I should have read it a long time ago. I have to say the first thing that happened when I started reading it was, I guess, Robert E. Howard also read Dunsany because (laughs) this story just totally reminded me of Conan. Yeah, the stealing of the thing from the idol and the way that he is an honorable thief. He's a bad guy and a good guy at the same time. Right. And then all of the crazy place names. and It totally reminded me of Conan's story. Yeah. Okay, so the story. So far from the top, what Andrew had read for us, this guy, Thangobrind, he is the main dude of the story. He's a jeweler, but it seems he's more of a jewel thief. Later on, it does say he has a shop, so maybe he's a jeweler and a jewel thief? Yeah, I think he's a jeweler, but the way that he gets product is by stealing it. He's a great jeweler, but he steals. He doesn't steal like little things. He only steals huge gems, like big, powerful stuff. So he's a high stakes kind of guy. He doesn't go out for small potatoes. He doesn't have to run commercials on TV or anything like that. This is the high end store that's only open a couple hours a day. Exactly. And he's got a very high end clientele, specifically this merchant who has some kind of bronchitis or something going on. He wants him to steal this huge gem that is as big as a human's head. And the gem is currently on the lap of this giant spider statue idol god thing. Kloho at the Temple of Mungaling. I guess when you're a jeweler who can steal gems like this, money doesn't mean much to you. So the merchant offers him his daughter's soul. So Pfeiffer, um, I have a question for you. Is your soul for sale? And if so, how much? Me personally? Yeah. Hmm. Some paper all signed, you know, like some legal, like I really had a, took the time and had a lawyer go over it and everything. Yeah. And it's like, I, once you die, your soul becomes mine for eternity. 50 bucks. Hmm. I think mine would be immortality. Yours would be immortality? You yeah, that would that be I... my price. That's what I'd sell it for. If you can give me immortality, if I would never be able to die, then you could have my soul. I didn't know you could ask for something like that. <laughs> all right. 60 bucks. 60 bucks. <laughs> I like the way that Thangabrind is just described in the opening, uh-huh. how he's trustworthy. You can't find a more honest jeweler, except that he's a thief. Mm-hmm. But he's like the best of the best. But then this part, he wants to possess somebody's soul? 
Yeah, that's pretty strange. Well, he's a disturbing person. And, and as a character, he's not really much of a hero. He's heroic in that he's the best. And so you want to see him achieve great right. things. But his motivation is to steal the soul of a young woman. So that's pretty strange. So the first thing uh, Thangobrin does before he goes off on his job is he oils himself up. Yeah. Which is awesome. That's what everybody should do before they go off on a, on a job. Any, even going to work on Monday morning, get oiled up. Get oiled up. You don't know what's going to happen. You never know. And he takes a sword with him, which is called Mouse. Mm-hmm. A thing that Dunsany does, and Lovecraft did this a lot as well, as I was saying at the top of it, is he just throws out names all the time. Yeah. These weird, <laughs> crazy names. And it totally annoys me because it makes me just stop for a second and go, what? Wait, where's that? What's that? And I can, I can see why maybe it would be exciting to somebody because they're like, ooh, that... In that sentence, there's so much mystery going on. But for me, it's just distracting and annoying. Like, crosses the plains of Zid, comes to Mursk and Thun. And it's like, what are these places? Why are you filling my brain with all this stuff? I don't need that. You got as far as Snarp. Snarp. But I know what you're saying. I, I, I enjoy it when there's all this crazy stuff in here. I think I used to be like you. I've read enough of this stuff now. I can tell when it's essential and when it's not. Yeah. And this is like in Lovecraft. I know I don't need to know all this stuff. No. So I just kind of go, ah, oh, that's a funny name, Snarp. And I just keep going. <laughs> I, when I get annoyed is if it's Game of Thrones and they make a reference to somebody's ancestral, something that happened a long time ago between these two families. And I know that's important and I got to remember what that is. Sure. And I get a little <laughs> bugged by it or Lord of the Rings, you know, when a lot of things come up and you have to know them in order for there to be some coherence to the story, I can get upset. But here, I just know this is all crazy throwaway stuff. He He's basically sneaking through all these cities and he's hiding in these different places. And he, yeah. at one point, some guards spot him because the moon comes out, but he kind of changes his body movements and starts making a noise, a noise that's kind of like a laughing sound. And one of the guards yeah. just thinks that he's a hyena. So he's like, that right. good. Is he, he can just move differently and change the sounds that he makes to trick people into thinking that he's something that he's not. Yeah. So he's, he's pretty amazing. He also gets attacked by a guard in Ag. But mm-hmm. when the guard grabs him, his oiled body pays off and he slips right out of him, just like a water weasel. That's why you got to get oiled up. Yeah. And then there's this disturbing passage that I was talking about. It's, uh, uh-huh. he knew that the merchant prince awaited his return. His little eyes open all night and glittering with greed. He knew how his daughter lay chained up and screaming night and day. Ah, Thangobrin knew. And had he not been out on his business, he had almost allowed himself one or two little laughs. It's like, what? Why are you laughing about that? Because he's kind of evil. I guess if you're wanting somebody's soul, there's just no getting around it. And he's a thief. Yeah. He loves stealing stuff from people, and he gets so much pleasure out of doing it and taking valuables away from other people. So, you know, he's kind of like Conan, like you said, in that respect, too. Uh, he's Because Conan's a bad guy half the time, Oh, right? yeah. Oh, man, there's I just, what's the one story where Conan... <laughs> goes in robs a dude and then sleeps with his wife and then the guy's <laughs> mad at conan and says you know like I, i'm gonna kill you and show you and then conan's like how dare you say those things to me i'm like conan you just went and stole from him and had sex with his <laughs> wife of course he's gonna be mad and thangabrand is just like that yeah he is he, he's thinking about gonna devour this girl's soul and he's gonna have his precious jewels Whoa, and he's just, he never says he's gonna devour it does he 
No, he doesn't say that's what he's going to no, do with it. No, no. I'm putting that on him. I'm sorry. I shouldn't judge Thangabrand, but I think that's what he might do with it. <laughs> you know what? I this whole I imagine this whole thing is being narrated by some pervy fop too. I just have his voice in my head because there's all these small interjections. You you read one a second ago when he goes, "Ah, Thangabrand knew." There's little things like that. Hedonism bot. A little like hedonism bot, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. There's that part that says, nobody saw him come to Mersk or Tlun. <laughs> oh, but he loved shadows. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of things like that in there. I love them. So now in my head, Lord Dunsany is hedonism bot. <laughs> it all makes sense now. We also get some interesting information on this gem. Chlo created the universe this gem, which is called Dead Man's Diamond. It's been stolen before many times, but it always ends up back at the statue. Thongobrin thinks that if he steals it, it'll be the merchant's problem and not his. So whatever curse befalls it and how it ends up back, he just thinks, oh, I'll give it to the merchant and that curse will befall the merchant, not me. I can avoid the whole thing. I find it really odd that Hololo, the spider idol, or is it an idol of the actual Hololo that created the universe? So this is God, basically. Well, we are a statue of him, and maybe like it manifests through him or something like that. Don't know. This felt like mythology anyway, this whole story with a hero, you know, all the different trials that he's had to come up against. But here, it almost becomes a Garden of Eden thing or a Prometheus myth in that Lolo created the universe and created this dead man's diamond. This is the one thing that he held back. Everything else is given to everybody else. He's just hanging on because it's his deal. He loves it. It's treasure. That's why it's such a treasure. Thangabrin going to steal this treasure is sort of like eating out of the, you know, there's the one thing God says don't do. Right. The one untouchable thing or fire from Prometheus. Sure. Humans get that and suddenly they're ahead. So there is that mythological tradition present here. Yeah, exactly. And he still has some more trials before he actually gets to the temple. Uh, they're, he gets to this place called the Towers of Tor. Mm. It's night and the archers can't see, but he knows that they will shoot if they hear a noise. They'll just shoot at whatever the noise yeah. is. So Thongabrin gets a bunch of long cords and ties up some stones behind him so that they, the stones rattle way, way behind him and the archers shoot. Ha! Oh, Thangabrind was ever a jeweler like you. <laughs> it says it in there. Yeah, I know. Uh, there was a tra- <laughs> there was a trap set for him as well in Woth where some gems were put out, but uh, they were booby-trapped. If he went to go get them, the booby trap would have caused the wall to fall down. Right. But he knew it was there, so he left them, and he l- left them weeping. Yeah, he couldn't steal the gems. He wanted them so bad, but for his own safety, he didn't take them. Finally gets to Theth, where <laughs> Hlolo is worshipped by all. Yeah. Everybody just worships this guy. Then he gets to Mont. Mong? Well, I think this Moong, like Moongaling is in Moong. So it's kind of, you know, you know Moong is the state and Moongaling is the city. That's where he, gets, he sees the gem. It glows. It lights up the whole spider statue of Flolo. Like it's this powerful gem. Yeah, there's some nice writing here. It says, dead man's diamond glittering on his lap and looking for all the world like a full moon. But a full moon seen by a lunatic who had slept too long in its rays. For there was in dead man's diamond a certain sinister look and aboding of things to happen that are better not mentioned here. That's flipping cool. I think that's the the bit of the weird that Lovecraft's talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got that that insanity, that something other and beyond, and if you try to understand it, you're doomed. Mm -hmm. It's really great. And when he sees it, it freaks him. That's the first time Thangabrin feels a little little fear. Yeah, he does. But he he sucks it up because he's Thangabrin. He's awesome. Yeah, it's very gangster. It says, business is business, you know? Yeah, business is business. Okay, so this is uh, his plan. He gives this big jar of honey over to the statue of Lolo, and then he bows down before it like he's presenting a gift. Mm. 
And once he does, these priests all come slipping out of the darkness to drink the honey, which he drugged. Uh-huh. Oh, he was cunning. <laughs> Uh, yes, exactly. Then he grabs the gem and he takes off. And then this creepy thing happens again. Clotho, the spider idol, said nothing at all, but he laughed softly as the jeweler shut the door. Careful, Clotho might be alive. Well, we, and well, here's the thing. When the priests awaken, they just quickly do some horoscopes on the thief. And then they go, oh, okay, that's cool. He can take it. No big deal. <laughs> right. What they see is uh, seems to satisfy them. They read the title of the story. They know that some, <laughs> exactly. some doom is going to befall him. And of course, uh, Thangobrin, he, he's not going to go back the way he came. Oh, no way, dude. He's a pro, yeah. man. So he, he decides to go a different way, which takes him through the night house and the spider forest. <laughs> which seems like a bad idea, but he is Thangobrin. Mm-hmm. If anybody can make it through the spider forest, it's him. Yeah. He hears kind of a noise in the forest but he kind of chooses to ignore it assuming probably they're just some spiders he hears the noise again when he when he's actually in there and he stops and he looks and there's nothing there he thinks he's being followed maybe this thought crosses his mind he thinks he hears the screams of what might be the merchant prince's daughter whose soul was the diamond's price and he smiled and went on. Yeah. Well, like he, that gave him the strength to go back on. Yeah, exactly. And not be scared. <laughs> He's starting to feel a little afraid about those footsteps behind him. And then he thinks about that soul. Mm, that soul. It's going to be mighty good when I get there. So he continues on and then he uh, arrives at the night house, whatever that is. There's this woman. I, I don't understand what this is about, but there's a woman whose house is night. Yeah. It's a woman whose, whose house is night, which I don't quite understand what that means. And she's up above him and is looking down. And then she does a bit of a, a cough as well. The cough was too full of meaning to be disregarded. Thangobrin turned round and saw at once what he feared. The spider idol had not stayed at home. The jeweler put his diamond gently upon the ground and drew his sword, called Mouse, and then began that famous fight upon the narrow way in which the grim old woman, whose house was night, seemed to take so little interest. To the spider idol you saw at once it was all a horrible joke. To the jeweler it was grim earnest. He fought and panted and was pushed back slowly along the narrow way, but he wounded Hlolo all the while with terrible long gashes all over his deep, soft body, till Mouse was slimy with blood. But at last the persistent laughter of Hlolo was too much for the jeweler's nerves, and once more wounding his demoniac foe, he sank aghast and exhausted by the door of the house called Night, at the feet of the grim old woman who, having uttered once that ominous cough, interfered no further with the course of events. And after that, some guards show up. They take Thongabrin and they string him up. Yeah, they string him up in a, in a very specific way. It says it goes to the house where the two men hang. Mm-hmm. They take one of the men on the left down from the hook and they put Thongabrin up in his place. Right. I thought was curious. Um, so does that mean if somebody else does this that they'll you know, Thangabrin will get a come down, <laughs> hopefully. I don't know. Sometime in the future. Yeah, I wonder who those two guys were. And then we get to the end, which is quite a bit different in style from the rest of the story. And the only daughter of the merchant prince felt so little gratitude for this great deliverance that she took to respectability of a militant kind and became aggressively dull and called her home the English Riviera and had platitudes worked in worsted upon her tea cozy and in the end never died but passed away at her residence. What? Kind of a punchline at the end there. No, see, to me, when I was reading this, I thought it was a... And that's the end of the story. That's the end. So I thought it was a tale from a kind of a mythic 
mm-hmm. time, you know, like a medieval sort of society or, or something. I don't know why I just assumed that, but that's the type of image that I got. Yeah. To think that it was taking place on the English Riviera uh, really kind of threw me off, especially when there's tea cozies. It's just a joke to conclude the thing and kind of uh, dig at your average, I would guess now you would say like suburban, aggressively, militantly dull person. That she could have had this fantasy world. I don't know exactly what he's trying to say, but... I don't either. I mean, it had platitudes worked and worsted upon her tea cozy, meaning that there's little sayings. And I imagine it would be the same as somebody who's... Uh, he. You know, nowadays you would say, and she sent memes over Pinterest. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, you're finding inspiration from pithy quotes that you then have embroidered on your towels in the kitchen. Right. No, I get that. But it seems really foolish to go through this whole story and be focused so much on Thangobrin and what he did and what happened and the creepy stuff. And then it just be a joke. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, no, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I think the whole thing is a crazy exercise. That does, there's no rules to the world. Yeah. So it just, he went from that and then she ended up, the daughter of the Merchant Prince ended up being this woman in the modern day who uh, right. had the chance of being the bride, perhaps, of Thangobrin. Maybe that's what it means if he captures her soul and, and could have lived in a, a world of fantasy, but instead is, is militantly dull. I mean, I think it's just... I guess, but it wasn't even up to her because... Thangobrin got busted by Hlolo. So, yeah. like, she didn't have any say in the matter. So why, again, it's kind of irrelevant what she does. I mean, to me, I, maybe I'm missing something really broad here. Okay, so Thangobrin was going to take her soul, and that would have destroyed her. Luckily, that didn't happen. So now, as this princess, she has a chance to have this beautiful, wondrous life because she was saved. She feels so very ungrateful for this that she has a very boring, commonplace life. And I suppose that there are ways you could take that away. You know, we've all been given Mm -hmm. this gift of not having our souls taken by Thangobrin, so we should be making more of our lives instead of of being boring. (laughs) Look, I, I mean, I think that he is edging towards something like that okay sure but again it's like no foreshadowing of that in the beginning like it's, no no it's, it's one it's one complete thing at the beginning and then this last paragraph is tacked on as some kind of weird joke which i don't particularly it would be the funny. same as if i was reading lord of the rings on the subway and somebody nudged me and just went hey these assholes and pointed at somebody else and that was you know that's as much connection as it is <laughs> that's really what he's doing at the end so i hear what you're saying it it's it is out of nowhere it's funny that we're talking about Tolkien because Tolkien was a big fan of Dunsany and his work was really inspired by his work and stuff. Yeah, and you can tell. You can absolutely tell. And uh, this story was originally published in the Book of Wonder in mm-hmm. 1912, uh, and that was Dunsany's seventh book. Now, there was a, a a book called, a fantasy anthology called Swords and Sorcery that included this story. Right. L. Sprague du Camp gave it as a, as a gift to Tolkien. Tolkien had written some notes. I think this is what you're driving towards. He'd written uh, yes, some, yeah, some notes yeah. in that copy, and and one of them was like kind of a criticism of this. Well, this is this is yeah, Tolkien's review basically of the story. Now, it, some of the words are it's, these are just notes, so it's not even really full sentences and mm-hmm. things. But he says this is a full sentence. Dunsany at his worst, <laughs> trying so hard for the shutter, but not for a moment making the tale credible enough to make a background for a strong something unintelligible what the word is i guess and the ending lamentable in fact insulting maybe is what the word is it's hard again this is handwritten so this is what we're getting from here and a world in which thangobrin could even begin to be let alone hlolo or all the rest of it early 19th century riviera 
is surely utterly impossible or vice versa. And what is meant by selling his daughter's soul? <laughs> so Tolkien was confused by all the same things as us. Yeah. Uh, now, I had heard that this entire book that this was in, The Book of Wonder, was kind mm-hmm. of tongue-in-cheek in a way and in a bit of a parody of some of his own earlier fantasy work. Also, I, I had read that Sidney Syme, who drew all of the illustrations for this book and had done for some of other Dunsany's work. Uh, Syme is referenced in Lovecraft's stories, Pickman's model among them. Dunsany decided that he wanted to write the stories based on the illustrations. So what I read was that Syme had done a bunch of illustrations and then they went the opposite direction where Dunsany said, I'll, you know, write whatever, you know, you draw whatever you like and then I'll write the stories around them. So many of these might be a little more impressionistic and odd than what he normally would do as well. But speaking of drawings as well, there's this really cool comic book adaptation that's online uh, by this guy, Dean Cotts. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, he, it, it's really beautiful. It looks kind of like those old Conan comic books of the 70s, but even a little bit better than those. And it's black and white. And that's the whole story. He adapted the whole thing pretty faithfully. And I would recommend checking it out. We'll put a link to it in our show notes. But if we're not particularly into the story, I believe the next story is a bit more well-liked. Okay, yeah. uh, Next, I chose The House of the Sphinx. So you've heard of that one. Yeah, people seem to think that this one is a better story, but I'm not sure how much better. So we'll have to find out next week. Okay, great. We'll be doing The House of the Sphinx next week. We'll put that up on our show notes as well. I want to thank Andrew Lehman for being our reader this week. Excellent, as usual. That's amazing. And I want to remind folks to head on over to CthulhuLives.org and order themselves a copy of Under the Pyramids, I Mean Imprisoned with the Pharaohs. (laughs) The Dark Adventure Radio Theater is out on CD now, as well as those sea shanties we talked about earlier. Check it all out at CthulhuLives.org. We are the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I am Chris Lackey. And you have been listening to us at HPPodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com.